I want to talk to you. The title of the message is called oil, plain and simple oil, oil. Have you noticed when we pray for people, we take out the oil. Some people take, some people have so much sin in their lives. You can't just anoint them with any oil you need like GTX, triple distilled and a can of it, pour it on their heads. My pastor used to explain it's like an athlete running when they're all sweaty and you want to grab him by the arm, your hand will slip off of them. If you're oily, the devil can't get a hold of you. Anything that's oily doesn't get stuck. If your car doesn't have oil on it in its engine, the engine ceases. I had a car once. I went, there was a time in my life where we struggled financially. I was trying to make ends meet and I was trying every type of business I could get my hands on. I had at one point, I actually owned four different companies working at the same time. One was a hair salon. One was a debt counseling company that helped people with debt. And other one was a construction company. The other one was uh, secondhand cars. Can you believe it? Everybody in Montana at one point or another was a car salesman. I never was a car salesman, but I did buy cars. I went to auctions every weekend. And one weekend I went to an auction and I bought a car. And I pulled that Opal. I was so proud of that car. I pulled it out. And without doing the proper due diligence, checking it for oil, starting it, I just started the car, drove it away. And as we drove home on the highway, I was looking behind me. The car stopped making engine sounds. And I looked behind me and on the highway was just parts bouncing. And the engine had broken through the head. The, the pistons pushed through because it ran out of oil. I didn't check. Your engines don't run well without oil. It wasn't, didn't have enough oil in it. I don't know if there was an oil leak. It's too late to check. The engine was broken. And I was bouncing and I was just, that car cost me so much. I lost so much money on that car. It's when I realized I'm a pastor, not an auction guy. You need oil in your life. And when we anoint people with oil, I don't know if we understand what that means and what that represents. And I want to try and clear that up tonight that everybody in this room has to know that you need oil. You need oil. You don't just need, I'm not talking proverbially saying that you need oil as a metaphor for life, that you need oil like a car needs oil. I'm talking about you need the Holy Spirit anointing in your life. You need the Holy Spirit. Oil very often in the Bible is an example or a, a shadow of the Holy Spirit. It, it, is, it is an object by which we identify like water identifies scripture. The, the washed clean by the water of the word. The word and water runs hand in hand. So the Holy Spirit and oil runs hand in hand. When we talk about oil, we talk about the Holy Spirit. But how does that work? Because in the natural realm, we anoint your head with oil, but in heavenly realms, that represents the Holy Spirit that moves upon your life. So I want to try and clear that up to, to tonight so that we understand what that means, what its implications are, and how we can get closer to being effective in our walk with God. We start in Matthew 25, and it's the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to 10 virgins. The kingdom of heaven shall be likened to 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom, took their lamps to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. That's like a 50% split. That's split down the middle, 10 virgins. Wise enough to be pure, but not wise enough to be ready. I want to tell you that however clean your lifestyle may be, 
That's not what qualifies you. You're not qualified by the purity of your lifestyle. You're qualified by the blood of Jesus Christ. That is a very steep and deep revelation that you have to get. You're not qualified by how well you live life. Clean, not even healthy. I'm not even talking about healthy. We all fall short there. It doesn't matter how good you think you are. That doesn't qualify you. The only thing that God recognizes is the blood of Jesus. The only thing that opens the gates of heaven is the blood of Jesus. You don't get in without the blood of Jesus. You don't go past the holy and into the most holy without being covered by the blood of Jesus. It is by the blood of Jesus that you have acceptance as a child of God. It's by his blood. It's by, we have union with God through the blood of Jesus. That's why when we take communion, we drink the blood. It makes us part of his blood. We, it makes us part of his family. So he says, 10 virgins, he uses them to say, it speaks of purity. There were five that were wise. Yes. And five that were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. They slumbered and slept. So it is that the bridegroom obviously represents Jesus, who is the bridegroom. We are the church, the bride of Jesus Christ. The church is called the bride of Christ. You individually, you are not the bride of Christ. The word Christian was first used in Antioch, I think. Christian is a, is a word that talks about those who confesses Jesus Christ as Lord. But as an individual, you are not the bride of Christ. Individually, you are a Christian that is part of the bride. And the bride in a hall is the bride of Christ. He is the bridegroom waiting for the bride. Uh, and the bridegroom is Jesus. And so the bridegroom delayed. I thought about this the other day. When Moses went up the mountain, we, we sing the song, uh, we will not be in a hurry. We, we're not going to push things. We won't be in a hurry. We'll wait. Moses goes up on the mountain 40 days. 40 days, he disappears into a cloud. Young Joshua sitting there at the foot of the mountain waiting for, for Uncle Moses to come down. He doesn't come down. If I'm waiting for you for an hour, I've had uh, estate agents having to show me a house. You arrive five minutes late, the estate agent leaves. Not me, it was actually my brother. They had, a, had a viewing at a house. The estate agent waited five minutes, he left. Imagine Joshua sitting at the foot of the mountain. Moses goes up, he says, just wait here, I'm coming right back. 40 days later, 40 days later, the whole team down there has already built a golden calf. For, they can't wait for Moses. 40 days later, they've backslidden and built a god like the god of Egypt. The gods in Egypt. They can't wait. We, we're, we're always in a hurry. That's why God calls it patience. As a virtue of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit is patience. One of them is to have long suffering. That we have to be, the ability to wait. The, the bridegroom delays. Paul was expecting Jesus to come every, any minute. And they, the, the disciples even asked Jesus, when is the end of days? When are you coming back? He says, it's not for you to know. But the bridegroom was delaying. I mean, it's 2,000 years now. Jesus, we're in church for three years. We get bored with it. Now we start finding other things to do. The bridegroom is delaying. We're in, we're in, a, we're in a small window now where we're, we're not really in a steep, deep building project yet. 
give us time. But with the only thing we're building is Pots and that's basically done. We're not building anything new. This church is, is trying to stabilize, and I think to a large degree it has now. With the, the, how many of you can remember the old building? I forgot about that thing. But it just feels like it's, we've, it, it feels like it was years ago. It's less than six months ago. It's less than six months ago. It feels like it's been years now. We're stabilizing it. And in the stabilizing, sometimes people get bored. Your Christianity, you, you have the pressures of life. And as you go through life and you're working in and out and you, and you, you, you got your job and it's growing, you're trying to pursue things and you're having children and children are going to school and you have to be at the hockey events and you've got three girls and all of them are playing hockey and netball at the same time. And you have a boy that, and you have three girls that's playing hockey at the, and you have a boy, you have to be everywhere at once. Life gets busy and you get bored with things that's happening. The intent of the Christian is to be there to glorify God, to have a relationship with God, to live a life that is pleasing unto Him. And these 10 virgins were waiting for Him and He took so long. Have you ever waited somewhere for someone and gotten slowly tired? happens to me almost every day, every day. It's, if I'm sitting in the car waiting for my child, I'm taking a quick nap. But have you waited somewhere for someone and just fallen asleep quickly? What if that happens to you spiritually? How many of us have gotten bored with our Christianity? The beginning, you couldn't wait to get back to United 180 UC, United City. Be here in the room, it's going to be cool. And how are you doing it for six months? You're like, is that it? We build a new coffee table. They're like, oh, that's nice. If that's, the, if that's the pinnacle of your Christianity, you are already bored. You get bored quickly. Ten virgins waiting for him. He takes too long. He takes too long for them. Let me read it to you. He says, but the, while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and they slept. All ten of them fell asleep. And at midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. And then all those virgins arose and trumped their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Now a lamp, I don't have a lamp. I don't know how their lamps looked in that day. But we, I, I'm thinking about these voortrekker lampa. You, you, you put oil in it, it's got the, the thing that sticks out and you light it and you have a, the lamp represents the structure that holds the oil. What's funny to me about the story, not funny, that's the wrong word. I mean, five of them missed it. Uh, what's strange about the story is that, that, that 10 of them had the structure to hold the oil. The lamp is the thing that holds the oil. All 10 of them had the ability to hold oil. If he were to say there were 10 virgins, but nine of them had lamps, I go, that's unfair. But it had 10 virgins. Five of, them, five of them were foolish, five of them were wise, but all 10 of them had lamps. All 10 of them had the ability to carry oil. All 10 of them had the structures in their lives to make light. All 10 of them could make light, but not all 10 of them used the structure to carry the structure, the form, the, the vessel to make light. All 10 of them had that, but not all 10 of them had the thing that made the light. So the differentiator here is not the lack on your part to have the structure. God gave you that. He gave you the structure. 
And the foolish one said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answer said, no, lest there should be, not be enough for us and you, but rather go to those who sell and buy for yourselves. Now, I want to just tell you, this is the parable in your own Bibles. You're following it on screen. You can read it in the NIV, NKJV, NLT, ESV, whatever translation you want to read it in. To me, it says there, and while they went, uh, you can go and buy for yourselves oil. Oil speaks of the Holy Spirit. You can go and buy for yourself. You do not have oil without cost. You are not going to have oil without cost. You will be caught off guard if you're unwilling to pay the price. It's like climbing onto a train and getting halfway through from the station. The guy walks in and says, where's your ticket? I didn't buy a ticket. You're going to get off the train. If you have 10 virgins who are supposed to oil, five runs out of oil, the five wants to say to the other ones, give me some of your oil. Listen, everybody's responsible for their own oil. You can't get my oil. My oil does this. You can't get this. Stop wanting another person's oil. Whatever he is called to do and anointed to do, you can't have that. You have your own oil. Do you? If you don't think, it would be unfair if you wanted oil, but you don't have the structure for the oil. It's not your job to pursue another person's calling, his anointing from God. Pursue your own. What has God anointed you for? Or what have you got the capacity to hold, but is not holding? No less there should not be enough for us, but rather go and sell to those who sell and buy for yourselves. It'll cost you something to have oil in your lamps. We come to church and we're upset. They're not you, you're here. Those that are not here. People are upset with the church because they have an offering. Because you don't want it to cost you anything. We'll pay for anything and everything, but we don't want to have a cost to the anointing. And I'm not saying to you, if you're confused on YouTube, I'm not saying that you can buy with money the anointing, but yes, you can. Let's just put it out there. Yes, you can. Not like the, 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 the um, sorcerer who thought he could buy from Paul and then the anointing to anoint people and give them the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But it will cost you something because Barnabas gave a very large donation to the apostles before he became an apostle. Because if your finances are not surrendered, if your finances are not surrendered, how will God trust you with that which is well, with far more than your finances lives of other people? If your finances are not surrendered, how did God trust you with people? So you don't have to come to me and give me your money so that you can have anointing. But if, you're, if your finances are held in your hand and you're trying to find reasons in the Bible not to sow, God will tell you, keep it. Mm. Because the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. And that buying which he talks about here, I don't think it's financial buying from a person who sells GTA oil. He talks about here buying in, in, in the cost that to have anointing will cost you something in your life. You have, you have five virgins who the Bible calls fools, we would get, the, we would hashtag on Twitter, church hurt, if I were to call you a fool. People get offended when you call them a fool. He says, five of the virgins are fools and five of them are wise. Now, if he says, 10 of them are waiting for the bridegroom, you think he's talking about outsiders or insiders? So this is not a message for the lost. Because oil doesn't talk about salvation. It's post-salvation. The ten virgins is those that are in. 
it is possible that he's saying 10 of them are in, but five of them are out. You can be in, but out. I wonder how many people in this room are in, but out. Because he's talking about 10 virgins at the bridegroom's wedding, waiting for the bridegroom to come. It's 10 people that is expecting the bridegroom. Those on the outside is not expecting a bridegroom. And yet five of the 10 was fools. Is it possible that in Christianity we have 50% fools? I'm just thinking out loud. 50%, five out of the 10 don't have oil, but they have structures. Can I finish? This church is a structure. This church, how many churches out there has the structure but no oil? How many pastors have the ability to produce light but don't have the oil for the light? Let me, let me simplify that and put it in layman's terms. How many pastors have the church building but not the Holy Spirit? He calls it fools. That's my interpretation of this portion of text. I think I'm theologically sound on the subject. How many people have a Bible in their house, have prayer at the table, but no Holy Spirit? You, you think quoting scripture, the Bible says that the devil knows Jesus and knows the word of God. He knows it better than you. Even the demons know and tremble. The devil attacked Jesus with scripture. The, scripture is not what gets you free. You can open your Bibles at Psalm 91 without the Holy Spirit, you have nothing. Now you have Christians, you have structure, but because of the, now what they think that would, would empower them is a better education. They're building the structure out, but not the anointing. You can be as educated as you want, quote MacArthur, wherever you want. If you don't have oil, MacArthur is not going to cut it. It's the structure without the anointing. You have the lamp, but it's not burning. You have light, but it doesn't work. You have the thing that can produce light. A church is a city on a hill because it's, you don't have a city if you have one person. You have a camp out. You have a city when you have multiple people. You also don't have a city if you have five people. You have a party maybe, but not a city. People are so impressed with churches that are small. And I have no issue because you do need small churches. Hear me loud and clear. You do need small churches and everything starts small. Nothing starts big, not even children. Except maybe Adam. He was just tall from the start. I just, just, I'm taking a detour. Driving, took the wrong off ramp. Ways was off and I took a wrong off ramp. But if your church is small, but the pastor is good, it won't stay small. Because if I'm, if I'm a good pastor and you're in my church and I really help you and you don't tell somebody, did I really help you? People can whisper, you can't help me. The Holy Spirit can. I beg to differ. I beg to differ. You need people. Did the Holy Spirit teach you to read and write or did the teacher do it? You don't want to give credit to pastors, but you want to give credit to a teacher. Don't be silly. Let's reason. So if I really help you, because you have this consumer index measuring thing in marketing, where if you rate somebody a nine or a 10, you'll talk to someone else about it. If it's a six to a seven, you won't tell anybody. If it's low, lower than that, you'll tell everybody that place sucks, right? 
You know about that? So if I'm doing my pastoral job well and you tell another person and I do it well for them too and they tell another person, how long before it's not small anymore? So the only reason you're, selling, you're promoting your smallness is because you can't get it bigger. If you had a choice in the matter, that would be different. But I don't think you have a choice that you're small because you can't get it big. That's my point. That's nasty, but it's the truth. It's church hurt. Hashtag that. No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but rather go to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready. It's too late to give when you're old. If you're in this room and you're young, don't say, okay, I'm going to live my young life. And then when I'm 50, I'm going to start serving God. It's too late. You can get to heaven, but you're not going to have the life that you were supposed to have. And if you're now 50 and you're in this room and you didn't know, that's a different thing. If you're in this room and you're, because I'm approaching that age in about 50 years, I'll be there. If you surrender your life, God will use what you give him. But while you have a choice, when you're young, give God the best. Don't wait to do it later. Enjoy. Don't enjoy the party and neglect the oil. And while they were gone, what, what happens? The bridegroom is coming. They were late because they spent their time doing stuff they weren't supposed to be doing. I lost out in gathering the oil. I have to rush. There's so much more to say. And while they went there by the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with them and the, into the wedding and the door was shut. And afterwards, the other virgins came to him saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, surely I say to you, I don't know you. So he says to those that were in, but didn't have oil. So what gets you in the room? Your structures, your education, your connections, the people you know. What gets you into the wedding? Oil. Not your money. Not your time, not your money. You're it now from the pastor. Your money doesn't get you in. What gets you in? Oil. The only thing that God recognizes on you is oil. If God looks at you and don't see oil, that's your, that's your admission ticket. Without oil, you don't get in. The kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like 10 virgins. Those that were in. Five were fools and five were what? What does God consider the differentiator between wisdom and foolishness? Oil. What makes God think you're wise? Oil. If you have oil, God goes wise. No oil, fool. All ten are virgins. Not the point. Do you have oil? Do you as a Christian have oil? Are you oily? I have oily skin. Do you have oil? That's a differentiator between being considered a fool and being considered wise. Do you spend your life enjoying the moment? Or is your life arranged in a way that God's oil is on you? Because he says the last sentence, put the last sentence up there for me. 
He says, because you don't know the time. But he answered and said, surely I say to you, you, I do not know you. Next, that's not the last one. The last one is this. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So he's asking you, he's saying to you, don't be ready when you think you should be ready. You know when it's Sunday? You know it's Sunday when it's Sunday. So you get dressed for church because you know it's coming. And when we're at church, you make sure that we don't have a fight in the house. We make sure there's no argument. People know that my wife, my kids know, don't mess with dad, it's Sunday. But the arrival of the bridegroom doesn't work that way. It's, there's no announcement. When you hear the announcement, it's too late. You either have oil or you don't. So your life is not, not spent in the slumber. It's spent in the pursuit of oil. The Bible is full on the subject of oil. We have to talk about it. Page with me to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter number 30, verses 22. And the Lord said to Moses, take the finest spices of liquid myrrh, 500 shekels. Sweet smelling cinnamon, half as much. That is 250. And 250 aromatic cane. Cane, ar aromatic cane. Sounds sweet too. And 500 shekels of cassia, according to the shekel. Put that up on the ESV translation. And you shall make of these a sacred anointing oil, blended as by the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. So he uses 500, 250, 250, The 500 one and the other 500 one, I've heard it said that they argue that that is bitter. And the ones where it says 250 and 250, the volume of that is sweet. It's, it's, it's to each one double bitter, half a portion sweet. To make the oil, there is more bitter than sweet that gets you that. Nobody would have a hesitation to get oil if it was all sweet getting it. Gethsemane means wine press. The word Gethsemane. We were in Gethsemane at the wine press. It's where you crush grapes, uh, uh, olives to get the oil out. You don't get oil without the crushing. He says to the ten virgins, where's the five with the oil? Because they have the structures to keep the light, but they need the oil to burn in the structure. We can have a church. That's why when we opened this building, I poured oil on the platform. Because the structures without the anointing means nothing. We need oil. But you don't get oil without the bitter in life through the troubles and the crushing and the process of which you get oil out of something. I show up on Sunday when I feel like it and I show up on Sunday when I don't feel like it. I'm a Christian when it's easy and I'm a Christian when it's not. When it's working, when it's not working, I'm a Christian. When I'm hurting, when I'm happy, when I'm sad, when I'm glad, it doesn't matter how I feel. I'm a child of God every season of life. And for everything under the sun, there is a season according to God's word. Jesus was crushed at Gethsemane. He was crushed. Jesus the Christ was crushed. He's, he was crushed so that there would be something to anoint. He was crushed for you and I to be included. Now he, he, he takes this and he tells us, take all of this and you shall make of these a sacred anointing oil blended as by the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. Moses could gather the ingredients, but he wasn't allowed to make the oil. You can put the ingredients together. Everything you go through in life, you can't make the oil out of that. You leave that up to God. 
Not even Moses who collected the ingredients could make the oil. He had to take it to the specialist to make the oil out of the ingredients. This is what God does with your life. When you give him the pieces that you pay the price for to put in his hand, when you put it at the altar and say, God, here is my life. Here is my story. Here is my hurts and my successes. Here is my dreams and my hopes. Here is my future and my career. Here is my marriage. Here is my friendships. Herein is how I pursue you in school. Here is how I pursue you in college. Here is what I put aside to that I may know you. Here is how I put all of these things apart. And you put it in his hand. He begins to make oil. He says, when you make this oil by the perfumer, when the Holy Spirit turns it into oil, he says, with it you shall anoint the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony and the table, table and its all its utensils and the lampstand and its utensils, the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering with its utensils and the basin and, and, and its stand. You shall consecrate them that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them will be holy. You shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. And you shall say to the people of Israel, this shall be my holy anointing oil throughout all your generations. It shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person. You don't, you don't, ordin, you don't anoint a common thing. So what, I have to rush. He says, this anointing oil that you make Moses, you pour it out on the tabernacle of meetings. The tabernacle of Moses. So everything that is in this tabernacle of Moses, you've heard of the tabernacle of Moses? You anoint that with oil. Everything that is in this place that was anointed with oil is considered holy. Do you agree? The tabernacle of Moses, go with me to Hebrews. Hebrews 8 verse 5. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern that is shown to you in the mountain. So the tabernacle that Moses made on the earth was a copy of what was in heaven. You see that? So he says, on the earth, make oil, then anoint everything in this tabernacle so that it would be holy, so that it would correspond with what is in heaven. It's a copy. Jesus walks past the temple. The temple is a copy of the tabernacle of Moses. As an outer court, holy, most holy. Jesus walks past the temple. He says, break down this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. They look at him. They say, are you mad? This thing took 46 years to build. You'll build it in three days? Jesus said, because I am that temple. So the temple of, of Moses represents that which is in heaven, which is holy. Jesus says, I am that temple. What was in heaven? is Jesus on the earth. His body was crushed so that, that, that his body would pay for us to have access to that which is in heaven, right? So now in Hebrews 9, it says, it was necessary then for the copies of heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves were a better sacrifice than these. So earthly things are anointed to be set apart, to be considered holy. What now is the temple of the Holy Spirit? The temple of Moses or your body? Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So when you put anointing oil on it, you make it holy and consecrate it and set it apart to be holy as it is in heaven. Does that make enough sense? All right. So Jesus, let me see if I can stick to my scriptures. Otherwise I'm going to mess this up. 
It says in James verses 5, 13 to 14, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church. Yo, I don't need you. I need Jesus. Nope. Not according to scripture. Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Put the next verse up there if it's there. Anoint them with oil and the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, it will be him forgiven. The prayer of faith will save the sick. You anoint him with oil because what you anoint here on the earth is you saying set this apart so that God can do a thing in heaven. The oil plays a part. In the story of David, Samuel walks into the house with a horn of oil and he wants to pour out the oil on David's brother Eliab. God says, don't anoint him. It's possible that the oil doesn't come in your life because your heart is not right with God. God says, I don't look at the outside, I look on the inside. Connected to this and last week's morning messages. What you have on the inside is what calls the anointing to you. So if you are sick, call the elders that they will anoint you. It says in, let's see if there's more. It says in Isaiah 10 verse is 25. For yet a, a little, very little while, and then it says, It shall come to pass in that day that this burden, verses 27, will be taken away from your shoulders and this yoke from your neck, and the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing oil. Oil breaks the yoke. There is something when we anoint you with oil and when we pour out oil on, us, uh, on people and we lay hands, it's an earthly manifestation of what we say is now consecrated, set apart and made holy for God. What is on the earth comes in agreement with what is in heaven. There is something to the oil in your life. 1 John says this, 1 John 2, 20 says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. Anointing is the rub on of oil to rub on to smear with you have a rub on you have an unction from the Holy Spirit when you are anointed by the Holy Spirit you know all things when you have the oil on your life you know all things God says don't when you have degrees you when you can quote MacArthur you know very 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 little because you need the Holy Spirit to peer past what you read on the surface with Scripture you can connect verse A with verse B and go like oh but you need the Holy Spirit to make it alive inside of you. You need the Holy Spirit. When He comes upon you, you are changed into another man. When the Holy Spirit moved on David, when he was anointed, the Holy Spirit began to work on him. And what God said will be a king, the Holy Spirit made a king through the anointing that was on him. In Psalm of 133 verses 1 to 3, He says, how good and pleasant is it when God's people live together in unity? It's like the precious oil poured on the head, running down of the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. Do you know how much oil I have to pour on you if you have a priestly robe on you? That this robe would run down your head, over your beard, over your robe, to the hem of your garment. I'll tell you exactly how much. It was a hen of oil. I asked ChatGPT, his first answer was wrong. He said 1.7 liters. I said, check again. I tuned ChatGPT. I said, I know my stuff. Check again. ChatGPT came back and said, I apologize. I was wrong. 
it is in fact 3.7 liters. 3.7 liters. A hen of oil was poured on the priest's head. A hen of oil. 3.7 liters of oil. God doesn't mess around. When he anoints you, when he pours out oil on you, when we anoint your head with oil, it's not a droplet. We don't put our finger at the top and go like, anointed, set apart. I don't want to get your hair oily. 3.7 liters of oil poured on Aaron. Aaron got dressed for the occasion. He comes and stands there. It's his party. It's an anointing party. He comes and stands there. He says, I'm ready. And they pour out 3.7 liters of oil. You're going to smell it. You're going to smell it. You're going to know it when somebody is anointed. Ah, we're going to know it when you're anointed because you're going to smell it. When, they, when the woman broke an alabaster jar of oil, a year's worth of wages cost associated with oil. Her smell in the room, the smell she caused in the room cost her something. Don't tell me oil doesn't cost you anything. It'll cost you everything. It costs her a year's worth of wages for one day's worth of smell. When you're anointed, 3.7 liters of oil poured on your head will smell you. We won't even smell you. We'll see you because the light will reflect off of you. When the devil wants to get a hold of you, he'll slip off of you. The yoke will break off of your neck because you are anointed. Is there somebody in this room? Amen. Hallelujah. Come on, just somebody say to God, pour out the oil. Pour out the oil. Here I am. Pour out the oil, God. Amen. 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 Sit down just for a second. We're going to finish this. Jesus says in Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Then he puts this silly little word there, because. Because the Lord has anointed me. I heard this said, that who we anoint becomes a target for the Holy Spirit to rest on. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why? Because he has anointed me. The woman comes, breaks the oil, pours it on Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me. When, you are in, when we use oil and we anoint people, when the elders call you apart and we put oil on your head and we pray for you, we're saying, God, this is a target. And the Holy Spirit comes and does the work. That's why we put oil on your head. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed. Smeared to rub with. Anointed. I was anointed with the oil. The Holy Spirit is upon me because I was anointed. I have the Holy Spirit on me because I am anointed. The anointing of God is upon me. The Spirit of God is on me because I'm anointed. I want to be anointed so that the Spirit of God can rest upon me. You need fresh oil in your life. Psalm 92 says that I've been anointed with fresh oil. Oil from last year is for last season. Christian, don't run out of oil because your light, when, the, when your structures are without oil, there's no light for your feet. There's no light for your life. You make no light with oil, without oil. You're just talking theology. Theology doesn't save you. Christ does. If you make no light, you have the structures, but no light. You have Christian religion. You pursue the behavior of a Christian, but you have no light in you. It's because there's no oil. Old stale oil will not make the same light. You need fresh oil. He has anointed me with fresh oil. When Peter takes the microphone in Acts chapter number 3 to explain why everybody looks drunk, he quotes Joel. 
He says, and it shall come to pass afterward that he quotes this. He says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. When we anoint you with oil, God anoints you with the Holy Spirit. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons. <clears throat> he doesn't say your pastors. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. You can prophesy. You have the gift of the Holy Spirit available to you. He says, desire all gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Come on, speak to your future. Speak to yourself. Before you want to prophesy to everyone else, prophesy to yourself. And don't prophesy Ferraris and nonsense. Prophesy to yourself that God is making me a success. God is upon my life. He is giving me purpose and direction. I'm a person with purpose. I'm a person with direction. I'm a person who is not depressed. I'm a person that is filled with the joy of the Lord. He is my hope and my shelter. He is the one that clears my mind and fills my thoughts. He is the one that anchors my soul. He is the one that speaks in my heart and leads my feet in the work and the way that it should go. Come on, prophesy to yourself. When you are anointed, you learn how to prophesy. He says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Don't wait for someone else to prophesy. You're not taking up space. What you should be doing is you're not wasting space. You're always trying to make yourself less. You're always trying to be quiet. Stop being quiet. Pull back your shoulders. Tell yourself, I'm a child of God. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And begin to tell yourself, they can laugh at me when I prophesy. I can sound a fool, but by faith I shall declare His Word over my life. I, and I declare it, I am wonderfully and fearfully made. I have a hopeful future. My future is held in His hand. The devil cannot snatch me away. When trouble comes on my left and my right, and though they fall a thousand on my left and ten thousand on my right, I shall fear no evil. He has made me the head and not the tail. I'm going over and not under. When you begin to prophesy, it is the anointing that begins to make the difference in your life. Come on, one more time. Tell God, I need the oil. I need the oil in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. He says in Psalm 45, All your garments are scented with myrrh, aloes, and cassia. Your oil makes an aroma. Let the devil smell you long before he sees you. When I walk into a room, I want the room to be quiet because when I walk into a room, I want to know that I'm walking there with the authority of God. I don't want to just be an object in the room. I want to be a sent one in the room. When I walk into the offices where I work and when I do business deals, wherever I go, I want to be a scented one. I want to be a person that has the aroma of God on me. When I do business, I want to do it under the covering of the anointing oil. Set apart, consecrated, made holy by the oil of God that is upon my life. The presence of God. When I, when I have interactions with friends, I want the oil of God. When we sing songs, even in our broken way of singing, I want to glorify God with the anointing of God upon my life. When I pray for someone, I'm not praying from my head. My prayer doesn't need to make sense, but my spirit prays. My head is not praying, my spirit is praying. When my spirit begins to pray, it taps into that which is unseen. And I'm pulling, I, I'm coming into agreement on the earth with what is in heaven. I'm anointed on this earth, full of the oil of God. When I pray and I touch someone's hand, the anointing is touching that hand. Exodus says, what touches it shall become holy. When the anointed one touches another person, that which is on me comes on you, except if I'm not anointed. The seven sons of Sceva wanted to chase out demons, but they weren't anointed. The demons messed them up. 
Don't go fight. Get into a battle if you don't have the oil of God on you. You have to be slippery so that he can never lay a hold of you. We need the oil of God on our lives. He, he says to, what's that dude in the Bible that, that, that came to Elijah? That had the, 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 the sickness, Naaman, that had to be dipped in the Jordan seven times. It's the same as Elijah that's saying, go look if there's a cloud. First time he checks, no cloud. Comes back, this feels silly, but there's no cloud. He says, go check again. The guy walks in, oh, he's a small, a small, small. Comes back seven times, no cloud. Seventh time, a cloud the size of, Naaman dips him. First time dips comes up, ah, not better. What was leprosy? Dips the second time, comes up, still leprosy. Now he's looking at himself a fool. I feel like an idiot. Dips again, go, ah, <laughs> I'm going to kill Elijah. <laughs> Dips again, comes up. I don't know how many times I have to push and shove and fight my way through, but I need the anointing. I'm not going to give up until I have the anointing of God. Because when I have the anointing, I have heaven's attention. The anointing makes a difference. I need God to see oil on me. I want to be counted the wise, not the fool. I don't want to be clever with my mind. I want to be right in my spirit. I want my spirit to be connected to God. Yes, I'm giving my very best to understand his word. I'm pursuing understanding and knowledge. And we can argue the word of God, scripture, much better than most people think we can. We, I have an honors degree in theology, not just an honors degree bought over the internet. I have a proper honors degree through, through a recognized institution. I'm possibly pursuing a PhD, working on it. That's not the point. We're not saying that you have to be intellectually shallow. And I'm saying to you, if that gets in the way of your spirit knowing God, it's in the way. If the devil uses your momentum to know things, he's pushing over to know so much that you don't know God anymore. You've reasoned God out of the scriptures. I need the oil. I need the oil long before I need understanding. The Bible wasn't written for engineers. It was written to normal people. It wasn't written for chemists. And it was written for every kind of person on the face of the planet. He doesn't get to you because you're intellectually, your IQ is high. He gets to you because your spirit is bowed low before him. He doesn't, he ignores you not because you are not smart enough or not smart enough. He ignores you because you have too much pride. He, re, he resists the pride, he prideful. He draws near to the humble of heart. He draws near to those who says, I am a man and therefore I bow my knees before my God. David was more man than most men. And yet he danced before God. Today we have, we have told men that you look weak when you sing. And our men think we are strong when we're quiet. And, and posture around like a pigeon. I don't know how to say it better. Real men know how to bow before God and say, that's where my strength comes from. And when they get up of that ground, they can run their house as well. Because they're anointed. I want to have the oil of God in my life. Church, please stand on your feet. 3.7 liters of oil poured on Aaron's head. I can't even count the times where people have put oil on my head. I can't count the times where we've put oil on your heads. You've been set apart. Consecrated, left to God. Now I need the oil 
to pull the Holy Spirit onto my life. That I would draw Him with my behavior and my actions. That I would draw Him with my confessions and my steps. That God would have a place to rest on. When Jesus come up, came up out of that water, the Holy Spirit, like a dove, in the, like that, the form of a dove, not a dove, but like that of a dove, ascended and allotted on Him. Rested on Him. I need the Holy Spirit on me. I know I have Him in me, but I need Him on me.